uh, marching through Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm excited about the Bible study this evening. Let's look at uh, verse, let's see here, verse number 8. We looked at Noah last week. We're going to focus in on faith examples Abraham this week. Look at verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And then verse 11 talks about Sarah. Skip down with me to verse 13. We'll look at Sarah another week. Verse 13 picks back up with Abraham. These all died in faith, speaking of the patriarchs, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them, And confessed them that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from which, uh, uh, see, from, from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Faith's examples, we're going to look at Abraham this evening. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for the life of Abraham. And as we'll see here in a few minutes, his life is filled with uh, mountaintops and valleys, uh, victory and defeat. But, Lord, he was a man who committed his life to you and took great steps of faith. And, Lord, um, uh, lived a victorious life because of it. Help us to find uh, some encouragement, some relatability. And, Lord, help us to commit to a life of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me ask everyone a question here this evening. Uh, please participate if you don't mind. Who is your favorite character in the New Testament? Pauline? New Testament. He's mentioned in the New Testament, but I mean that lived in the New Testament. Marie? Jesus? Okay, outside of Jesus. Obviously, Jesus is everyone's favorite character. Paul? Okay. You like like the book of James? James? Okay, Bob, who's your favorite New Testament character? Okay, all right. Let me ask another question. Who can you relate with the most in the New Testament? John, okay, he loved God. Bob says John, who else? Anybody? Can't relate with any of them. Jake, who can you relate with in the New Testament? Okay, yeah, he said uh, that I'm the chiefest of all sinners, right? But Paul also traveled the world, right, planting churches. So there's some things we can relate with. I, I relate most, and I was hoping someone would say this, but I can't get you guys to bite. Uh, I, I relate most with Peter because Peter was really good at um, 
being the right thing one minute and then the wrong thing the next. Peter, in the same chapter, was told that only God could have given him that answer and then called Satan just a few verses later. Um, uh, Peter, Peter did the right thing most of the time and he did the wrong thing the other part of the time. I think about Peter. He was the only disciple to actually get out of the boat and walk on water. And you know what us pessimistic 21st century Christians do? We talk about, ah, Peter fell in the water. Yeah, but Peter got out of the boat. (laughs) Let's not forget that Peter actually got out of the boat. He was the only one with the storm raging to step out of the boat and walk on liquid water. And while he fell, hey, he did something no other human outside of uh, Jesus ever did. I bring up Peter because Abraham, I believe, is very similar. I, I believe in the Old Testament, Abraham, there are a lot of parallels to my life found in the life of Abraham. And I'm going to tell you what Abraham encourages me. Because Abraham was hailed, I mean exalted and praised throughout the Bible for his faith. But Abraham didn't always live by faith. In fact, Abraham had some major gaffes along the way. He made some big, big, big mistakes. And some of those mistakes are still being felt now. Today, much of the war in the Middle East can be traced back to Abraham's sin and Abraham's gaffes. And I'm going to show you that this evening. But nonetheless, Abraham is praised here in Hebrews 11 as living a life of faith. Now, why am I saying this? Because we get the idea when we study Abel and we study uh, Enoch and we study Noah that these three men were perfect, that their faith had reached a level that for us is unattainable. Think about it. Abel was the first martyr in the Bible. We have no record of Abel doing anything wrong. And it's like, I don't know that I can get there. And then Enoch was so faith-filled that God translated him to heaven. I mean, does anybody think they can actually reach that level of faith? I don't think I can reach that level of faith. Uh, and even if I did, God probably wouldn't do it. That's not how he's working right now. But still, the, the faith walk that Enoch had was, in some ways, it feels unattainable. And then Noah, God is not going to come down to any of us and ask us to build a boat in our backyard, right? That's going to take us 120 years to build and be three stories tall. That's just not, that's not going to happen. And you look at those three men... And you don't really see lapse of judgment recorded in Scripture, at least at those times. Noah would have a lapse of judgment after the flood, but not prior to it. Then we come to Abraham. And we see that God called Abraham's faith to grow little at a time. God had to come along and affirm Abraham in his path. But Abraham would take major steps of faith. The last thing I'll say here by way of introduction before we get into the outline is this. Faith is not something that you exercise at salvation and then forget about. Faith is something that you grow through for the rest of your life. Whether you've been saved for six months or you've been saved for 50 years, you you never stop growing in your faith. God is going to continue to challenge it. He's going to continue to strengthen it. He's going to continue to push your faith 
limits. Uh, your faith muscle may be big. God has a weight that will feel insurmountable for you to carry. And uh, we will see that in a couple of weeks when we look at Abraham and the story of Abraham and Isaac. Even though Abraham had developed this faith that was very strong, God came around when Isaac was uh, a young adult and said, go take him up and kill him. Well, what was God doing there? God had to find some extreme way of testing Abraham's faith. And so we learned that faith is not something we just exercise in salvation. No, faith is something God continues to work to develop. Now, can all of you, I see some tired faces this evening. All right, y'all do your best to try to stay awake. Um, uh, can, can, uh, can all of you relate to the fact, I'm talking to folks who have been saved. I think all of you in here have been saved five years or more, maybe ten years or more. Some of you have been saved for decades. Can all of you in here relate to the fact that God is going to continue to press the envelope of your faith level, that he never stops, whether that's through a medical trial or that's through a relational trial. It just doesn't stop. He's going to continue to try to increase that faith. And so we can learn uh, from Abraham in these ways tonight. Let's jump in and notice here about Abraham's faith. Number one, Abraham's salvation. Abraham's salvation. So again, remembering in context, the book of Hebrews is written to Jews, the Hebrew people. And it's being written to convince them, don't put your faith in the the ceremonialism of the Judaism religion, right? Temples, tabernacles, offerings, uh, bloodshed, priests, uh, uh, garments of priests. Don't put your faith in these things. These are types. These are shadows. Uh, put your faith in the substance of the shadows. Put your faith in that, in that uh, uh, completion of these types. All of those lambs that were shed, these innocent, firstborn, spotless lambs. You may remember they had to bring them up uh, there to the tabernacle, and there was a priest who would inspect. Uh, he, was, he was quality control, if you will. They'd walk it through the gate after that animal passed inspection. They'd tie it down to the brazen altar there in the courtyard, just as Jesus was tied or nailed down to the cross, they'd slit the neck and uh, uh, the blood would run over the edge of the altar. They would fill that uh, basin up with blood and use that to purify other things. All of that was not to be worshipped. All of that was to symbolize Jesus being tied or nailed to a cross. His blood being shed. Uh, that blood being not, not just sprinkled on some uh, linen or curtain uh, called the tabernacle, but sprinkled on the mercy seat in heaven. Heaven being made ready for us. Uh, the, the blood of Jesus being sprinkled on the mercy seat so that our, uh, our reconciliation with God could be made. And here he's telling them, listen, all of these things about Judaism that you adore, all of these things that you all love, they're not going to get you to heaven, nor are the heroes of Judaism. Nor are the patriarchs that you look back to. Do you remember when Jesus got into a heated discussion with the Pharisees? And he was uh, telling them that if they were of their father Abraham, they would believe. They would believe. Uh, but they weren't from their father Abraham. They were from uh, Korah and other folks who persecuted 
the prophets. And so here you have uh, the Lord making the case in the book of Hebrews. Abraham was not saved through the Judaism religion. Abraham was saved by faith in God. Now, one quick distinction before we look at the verses here. Uh, in the Old Testament, they were saved by faith in God to send the Messiah. In the New Testament, we're saved by putting our faith in the Messiah to save us to God. You see the difference? Now we know who the Messiah is. That's no longer a mystery. Paul talks about this mystery being revealed to us in the book of Ephesians. And so it's not a mystery anymore. We know who the Messiah is. In the Old Testament, uh, all they had was types and shadows. So they put their faith in God that he would send the Messiah. Now that the Messiah has been sent, we put our faith in the Messiah that he'll save us and reconcile us to God. But all the same, in the Old Testament, it was faith in God to send the Messiah. In the New Testament, it's faith in the Messiah to reconcile us back to God. But it's faith all the same. Make no mistake about it. It was, it's always been about faith that saves us. It's never, ever, ever been about works. And that point is made clear. Now, Abraham is endorsed. His salvation is endorsed by Jesus in the book of John. He's endorsed by Paul uh, in two different books, the books of Galatians and Romans. But uh, this point about Abraham being justified by faith goes all the way back to the story of Abraham in the book of Genesis. So turn with me, if you will, over to Genesis 15. We're going to be between chapters 12 and 21 uh, tonight and, and looking at uh, several different passages as it ties into Hebrews 11. Look at Genesis chapter 15 and look at verse number 6. Speaking of Abraham, the Bible says, And he believed in the Lord, and he, God, counted it to him for righteousness. How was righteousness laid on Abraham's account? Was it because of his obedience? No, it was because of his faith. By faith, by faith, Abraham. By faith, Abraham was saved. Look with me at Galatians chapter 3 and verse 6. And again, we will see how that 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 wording in Genesis 15 shows back up in the New Testament. Look with me at Galatians chapter number 3. And verse number 6. It says, even as Abraham believed God, he believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. One more, back up to Romans chapter 4 and verse number 9. Romans chapter 4 and verse number 9. The Bible says there, Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. What, what point is Paul making to the church of Rome here? Uh, again, the church of Rome was filled with circumcision and uncircumcision. Jew and Gentiles. And they had almost divided themselves into two groups of people. You had the Jews on this side of the auditorium and the Gentiles on this side of the auditorium. And the Jews were acting more pious than the Gentiles because they were circumcised and they kept the Sabbath and uh, they didn't eat uh, unclean meat. They were kosher in their diet. And then the Gentiles acted pious toward the Jews in this church because, well, we don't need to hold to your ceremony. 
colonialism, we, we have a faith in Christ. And there's this rift, this back and forth. And so the book of Romans was meant to clarify what salvation is and how it works. And so here, like in the book of Hebrews, uh, Paul takes uh, this topic and says, whether or not you're circumcised, that has nothing to do with being saved. Please don't miss what I'm about to say here. God did not tell Abraham to circumcise himself and his children, uh, or rather Moses. God, Abraham wasn't commanded. Moses was. God did not tell Moses to circumcise himself and his children uh, because uh, he needed to do that to be saved he, uh, or to be God's chosen people. He did it because he was God's chosen people. They were God's chosen people. The same is true for us. Works do not save us. But works come because we are saved. Abraham was not saved because he left Ur of the Chaldees and, and went to a land uh, that God wanted to lead him to. No, uh, Abraham was saved because he believed. He believed. And so, number one, Abraham's salvation. Number two, notice Abraham's sincerity. Abraham's sincerity. Go back with me to Hebrews chapter 11 and look, at me, look with me at verse number 8. We see here that Abraham's faith really could just be summed up in a word, worship. Worship. Abraham's faith was a faith of great worship. He was sincere in that worship. Look at verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should, after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. Now, this has been discussed and talked about many, many, many times. I think I first heard what I'm about to say uh, five, six years old in Sunday school, right? As a little boy with a flannel graph, you know, uh, some of you here have taught Sunday school. In fact, I think all of the adults in here have, uh, rather, all of these adults, all the older adults in the room. I'm not calling you old. The, those who are older than Tiandre and Bethany, okay? I think all of you have taught children Sunday school at some point. How many of you here have used flannel graph in Sunday school teaching children at some point? Okay? Maybe not Marie. But uh, uh, Pauline, have you ever taught a children's class? Not here. Uh, anywhere? Okay, so you've been involved on some level. But you know the story, right? God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to get up and go. And Abraham probably said, okay, Lord, where? And God said, I'll tell you when you get there. And so Mr. Rich Abraham, he goes home and says, hey, Abram at the time, he says to Sarai, Sarai, pack everything up, load up the U-Haul, we're moving. And Sarai says, we're doing what? He said, the Lord told me, we're moving, don't question me. Uh, what, what do the old preachers say? He said, uh, I'm not the one that wrote it, I just quote, I just towed it and quote it. Uh, he said, uh, I, look, I just, I'm just the messenger, don't kill the messenger. And so he said, uh, pack up the belongings, we're moving. And she said, okay, we're going to obey the Lord, we're going to do this, where are we going? And he said, uh, the Lord didn't tell me that. Uh, what? Now, I try to put myself in Abraham's shoes. And I've been, uh, I've been married for 12 years now. And I've moved around a lot in 12 years, way more than I wish I had moved around. But nonetheless, that's just how it goes. 
I don't like moving. I don't like packing U-Hauls. I'm very good at it because I've done it a lot in my life. I don't like it. I know how to do it. Uh, I hope I never, ever, 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 ever move out of this state or this area. I hope I'm here uh, until I die. I hope they have to pull my cold, dead fingers off that pulpit one day and put me in the grave. That's how I hope it goes. We'll see what the Lord's will is. Uh, But uh, I I know how to do it. But if God came to me and said, you're going to move, I would try to be compliant. I'd say, yes, Lord. But if I went home and told my wife we're moving and I didn't tell her where, we'd have problems on our hands. Listen, letter A, notice his obedience was proof. By faith, by faith. How do we know that Abraham was a man of faith? He was obedient. Again, verse 8 highlights this. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go into a place which he should, after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. He obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. Please hear what I'm about to say. You cannot have faith without obedience. The two are connected hand in glove. The two fit together. If you're not obedient, you're not living a life of faith. If you have faith, then you are obedient. They fit together. You say, Pastor, I don't know if I'm a man of faith. I don't know if I'm a woman of faith. When the Word of God tells you to do something, do you make a strong effort to follow through and do it? If you do or when you do, you're living a life of faith. If you don't or when you don't, you're not living a life of faith. Now, there's more to it than that. I don't mean to oversimplify it. You need to do it through the Lord's strength. You need to do it trusting in the Lord through the process. But if you're not even willing to get up and do it, then you have no faith. Turn over to Genesis chapter 12. And look with me at verse number 1. I love how um, uh, we're taking these characters one at a time, marching chronologically through the book, uh, through the Old Testament, and looking at uh, how the Lord is highlighting their faith. Look at Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And so his obedience was proof. Christian, if you want to have a sincere faith, you must be obedient to what the Lord tells you to do. Let her be noticed his worship was passionate. His worship was passionate. Look back with me at Hebrews chapter 11. Hold your place in Genesis. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 9. Look there. It says, By faith he sojourned uh, in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles. That is a peculiar phrase. Dwelling in tabernacles. Notice that phrase. With Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Now, I chose on purpose not to highlight how that Abraham led his family because we did that with, with Enoch and Noah. We spent quite a time looking at that with Enoch and Noah. But quickly here, let me just touch on this and move. Notice how God takes a moment in verse 9 uh, with Abraham's life to highlight the importance of passing along a goodly and godly heritage. Enoch did it. Noah did it. And now it's being highlighted that Abraham did it. He led his children in worship. 
He led his children to do this. They were in a land that was pagan. They were in a land where God was not worshipped. They found a way to do it as a family. They found a way to pass that baton on down. Uh, notice that his worship was passionate. Let me talk about this word passion, uh, 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 worship for a minute. The word worship has been cheapened in the church era in America uh, in the 21st century. It has been cheapened. Worship is not just music. Music is a very small, teeny, tiny fraction of what worship is. Question. Can we worship the Lord through music? Of course we can. And we take about 15 to 20 minutes every Sunday morning and Sunday evening, and we sing straight through. We sing a mixture of hymnals and choruses, and uh, I think everyone here thoroughly enjoys it. I look out and I see you all singing and, and, uh, and, and praising the Lord. But to, but to pigeonhole worship as being just music is, is cheapening the idea. I heard uh, someone define worship one time as uh, worship is uh, a realization that God is everything and I am nothing. God is everything and I am nothing. And can we get there through worship of co- or through singing? Of course we can. But there's so much more to it than that. There's corporate worship. There's private worship. There's worshiping God uh, in our singing. There's worshiping God uh, through letting the Holy Spirit convict us in preaching. There's worship of God in our giving. Uh, There's worship of God in our witness. There's worship of God in our work. There's worship of God in our service at church. There's worship of God in so many ways. And one thing we can say about the life of Abraham, we're going to look at it in Genesis here, is that his worship of God, uh, his his loyalty to God, uh, his love for God was passionate. It was passionate. Notice below that, uh, with his time, with his time. Now, again, if you look back in verse nine, it says dwelling in tabernacles. And that phrase seems odd. Where would have they found tabernacles as they're traveling through pagan lands? Look back with me at Genesis chapter 12. And verse number 8. And remember, they're dwelling in uh, Ur of the Chaldees. They're told to get up and leave and, and to go to a land that God's going to show them. And so they're sort of just wandering all that over the map. Look at verse 8. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west. And uh, let's see here. Hayon uh, on the east. Look here. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord. And called the name of called the name of the Lord. Called upon the name of the Lord. Did he have a full blown tent called a tabernacle to worship the Lord in? No. He didn't need it. He took the stones around him, he erected an altar, and he took an animal, he sacrificed it, and he worshiped the Lord with his time. Look at chapter thirteen, verse three. And he went on his journey from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai. This is the same place we find in chapter 12. Upon the 
place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. So he travels away. He makes his way back to the same altar he had built before. And he offers yet another sacrifice in order to show God, I'm going to give you my time. I'm going to sacrifice my time in order to worship you. It was a deliberate choice. It was a deliberate choice. We do not, we do not give God time on accident. How many of you are like me and throughout your Christian life, walking with God has ebbed and flowed? How many of you like me with that? Sometimes it's, it's good. Sometimes it's, it, it even gets as bad as just being absent. Right? Do you know when your walk with God is good? When it's planned. Because if you just say, I'll get to my Bible when I have time, guess what? You're never going to find the time. I'm going to pray when I have time. You'll never have time. It must be delivered. Do you see here how Abraham is worshiping God intentionally? He's taking the time to build the altar. Look at uh, chapter 13 and verse 18. Chapter 13, verse 18. Then Abram removed uh, his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. He used his resource of time to erect an altar. He took up his cattle. He put one of them up there. He made a sacrifice to the Lord, and he led his family uh, in worshiping God. Now, his family consisted of his wife, his nephew, and his manservant. And, and women servants, but nonetheless, he led in worship with his time. One more. Look at chapter 18 and verse number 1. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre and sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. Now, there's worshiping God remotely, right? God's in heaven. He's on earth. There's this worshiping of God at a distance. He can't see him physically, but he's worshiping. And then in chapter 18, the Lord has become so close with Abraham at this point in the story that he comes down. And many folks, including myself, believe that this is a Christophany, an Old Testament appearance of Christ. He comes and physically sits down with Abraham and has lunch with him in his tent, by his tent door. This is, this is what Hebrews 11.9 is talking about, dwelling in tabernacles. Not a physical tabernacle, but he took time to worship the Lord. He worshipped him with his time. Notice he worshipped him with his treasure, with his treasure. His worship was passionate. Turn over to chapter 14 and verse number 17. And really quick here, let me set this up. He here is, he here is um, um, coming back from battle. He and Lot had parted ways. Lot had gone into Sodom and uh, would, uh, would live in Sodom, in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah side by side. There were kings that came in and raided Sodom and Gomorrah. And they, the, the Sodom and Gomorrah lost and were taken away. And so Abraham gets together his proprietary army and he chases down these kings that had overcome Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham and his troop defeat these kings that had overthrown Sodom and Gomorrah and utterly destroy them and take the spoil and, and, and deliver Sodom and Gomorrah out of the hands of these folks. By the way, the only reason why Abraham did that was because he had family involved in the situation. So he went and got them. And so the king of Sodom looks at Abraham and says, look, we just want to go back to where we were. All of the spoils, all of the treasures, all of the money, the cattle, you can, uh, of the spoil, keep it. It's yours. 
And so now Abraham, boy, you're talking about being top dog. Top dog. He's walking with God and communicating him voice to voice. He has created an army that has now overthrown a very powerful army. He is feeling like, he must have been feeling like he was on top of the world. Did this, did he allow this to put him in such a level where now his pride would keep him from God? Oh no, look at chapter 14 and verse 17. And the king of Sodom went went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of, and you see the name of the, of the, of the folks he slaughtered. Too big of a word for this simple guy to read. And of the kings uh, that were with him at the valley of Sheva, Sheva, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, now we looked at Melchizedek several months ago, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he, he Melchizedek, blessed him, Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And and blessed blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hands. And Abraham, he, Abraham, gave him tithes of all. Now, we've already covered this, so I'm not going to dwell here long. We, We believe, or I believe strongly, that Melchizedek is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. He was the priest in the Old Testament, and then Jesus would be of the lineage of Melchizedek in the New Testament. Without getting all the technicalities here, notice this, and and this is very important. Notice here that Abraham, Abram at this time, he has all this spoil. So what does he do? He reaches in and he gets one-tenth of it, or a tithe of it. And out of his worship, he gives it to Melchizedek. A very important distinction here. Nowhere in this passage does it say that he was required to give it. Nowhere in this passage does it say that Melchizedek demanded it. Why did Abram give 10% of his spoil, of his goods, to Melchizedek? You know why? Because he was worshiping. He was worshiping the Lord. He was worshiping the Lord. What is... What is the offering time when the collection plate is passed? That is an opportunity for you to worship the Lord. You, 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 you sit at home and you so purpose in your heart to give abundantly. And you do it out of a cheerful spirit, we're told in the New Testament. And you write out that check or you put that cash in that envelope. And the offering plate comes by and there ought to be a satiation, a fulfillment, a spiritual, uh, uh, almost the standing up on the back of your neck joy from dropping that in the offering plate. And you say to the Lord as you put it in there with a smile on your face or at least in your heart, Lord, I sure do love you. Lord, I sure do appreciate you. Lord, this is the least I can do to worship you. Abraham's sincerity. His obedience was proof. His worship was passionate. Notice letter C. His relationship was personal. His relationship was personal. I, I love this about the book of Genesis. Now, a quick thought on dispensations or eras. During the dispensation or era, the way God worked with man in Genesis, God the Father spoke directly to, to certain people. All right? All right. 
And so one of the things I love about the Bible is that all three parts of the Trinity are at work in every era or dispensation of the Bible. But they all have taken a turn at having that primary touch with God's people. In the Old Testament, here in Genesis 12, God the Father was the main one that interacted with humanity. Uh, in the Gospels, Matthew through John, uh, Jesus walked the earth for 33 years, and God the Son was the main one to have contact with His people. Now, in the church era with which we live, uh, God the Holy Spirit dwells within us. We are the tabernacle, we are the temple, and the God the Holy Spirit is the main one. That interacts with us. So with that understanding, God the Father is not going to do for you, uh, I I don't believe, what he did uh, for Abraham. But look with me at Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 1 and see how personable Abraham's relationship was with God. Look here. Now the Lord had said, had said unto Abram. This is an audible voice. God the Father from heaven is speaking in an audible voice to Abram. Get thee out of the country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Uh, Look with me at uh, chapter uh, 12, verse number 7. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, and said. See the relationship here developing. The Lord appeared unto Abram and said. Look with me at chapter 13 and verse number 14. And we're not even going over them. Just a handful here to get... You get the idea. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, lift, lift up now thine eyes and look from thy place uh, with uh, where thou art, northward and southward and eastward and westward. He goes on to tell him that I'm going to give you everything that you see. No doubt Abram is depressed here. Abram feels lonely and alone. And God comes to him at this time. You see the relationship developing. Look at chapter 15 and verse number 1. And these things, the word of the Lord came, after these things rather, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. You see the affirmation here again? The Lord is coming down and personally uh, speaking to Abram. Uh, Abraham, you see this friendship. Look at chapter 17 and verse number 1. Chapter 17 and verse number 1. The Bible says, And when Abram was 90 uh, 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Again, you see the relationship developing. One more in Genesis here. Look at chapter 18 verse 1. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. Now it isn't just an audible conversation. Now in chapter 18, the Lord is actually coming down in person and having a meal with Abraham. You see the, the, develop, the development of the relationship? We all understand this about relationships, right? They cannot be good unless you work at them. I'm sitting on the couch in my living room where we have a wood stove, and my sister-in-law was visiting with us, and she's staring into the into the, uh, the wood stove there, and there's logs in there, and it's burning, and we, we'd had it going for many hours, and and uh, I'd gone over to the the fireplace and put some logs in the in there to keep it going, and and she stare, just staring in there, and she says, you know, you can learn a lot about relationships from that wood stove, and I said, well, what do you mean? And she says, well. Uh, in order for it to work, you have to keep you have to keep at it. 
It takes work to keep a fire going. And you have to keep putting logs on the fire. And uh, she had like five or six different super profound and deep thoughts, which I don't remember right now. Uh, But I know this. She was making the point that no relationship happens on accident. Your relationship with God is no different. You want to have that tight-knit relationship with God where that faith muscle is big and strong the way Abraham did. Boy, you have to work at it the way he did. Maybe my favorite verse about Abraham's relationship with God and how personal it was can be found in James chapter 2 and verse number 23. If you're in Hebrews, James is just uh, just a page or two over from Hebrews 11. Listen to this, James chapter 2 verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Listen to this. And he was called the friend of God. Whoa. This man's faith was so real. His relationship with God had developed so strongly that God looked at Abraham and said, That man right there is my friend. That is my friend. Can you think of anything greater for God to look down and write about you than to say, That's my friend. We remember the story of, uh, I think it was uh, the Roman centurion, who God, the Lord marveled at his faith, right? Because he didn't even need the Lord to come to his house to heal his daughter. Faith, on our part, so impresses God that it makes him want to be your friend. Think about the person that you enjoy spending time around the most, whoever that is. Whoever, whoever that might be. What is it about them that draws you to them? There is something about their temperament, their personality, uh, their, uh, their being, the way they make you laugh, or uh, the way they're there for you, maybe their warmness that draws you to them. What is it about us that God says, you know what, I want more of that. I want more with him. I want more with her. It's our faith. When our faith is obedient, uh, when we're uh, uh, devoted uh, to worshiping Him, and when we're devoted to walking with Him, uh, God says, give me more of that. I want to be His friend. I want to be her friend. But as I said by way of introduction, Abraham's life was far from perfect. Number three, number one, we looked at Abraham's salvation. Number two, Abraham's sincerity. Notice number three, Abraham's struggles. Abraham's struggles. Now, we're not going to be able to finish this tonight, which is great, because next week we need a short Bible study, and I'm leaving this just enough for a short Bible study. You, you read through the life of Abraham, and you go, man, Abraham, you're awesome. And by the way, if I concluded the Bible study right now, you'd walk away going, Abraham was like super-duper Christian. I'll never get there. And then you read some of what we're about to cover, and you go, whoa, wait a minute here. Abraham, what were you thinking? You are this great man of God. God called you his friend. And you did that? Like what? Letter A, notice his doubt. His doubt. Look at Genesis chapter 16 with me in verse number 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had in handmaid an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, 
the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid, sleep with my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. I cannot imagine a scenario where my wife would say, take her in that room over there and and procreate with her. I cannot think of a scenario where my wife would ever tell me that. Do you know how Sarai got to this point? She wanted so desperately to have a baby. She was so heartbroken that she wasn't having a baby that she began to doubt God's plan. Now remember, God told Abram and Sarai in Genesis chapter 12, Get up and go, and I'll make of thee a great nation. Something that we need to remember is that when God makes a promise, He always keeps it. How many of you like me have had moments in your life where you have really doubted that God, would keep, God was keeping his promises. I've been there many times. But I can now tell you after being saved over 30 years, looking back over my shoulder of 30 years of salvation, hey, God always keeps his promises. Here's what happens when doubt starts to set in. It wasn't just Sarah that doubted. It was Abraham that doubted too. And Abraham said, you know what? God is not keeping his promise. We need to take matters into our own hands. And here's what happens, folks. Human rationale runs counterintuitive to faith. Sometimes our human rationale lines up with faith. But most oftentimes it doesn't. How many of you have ever heard somebody say this? I want to do that which is sensible. Sensible. You know what that word sensible means? It means I want to do that which makes sense to my five senses. What are the five senses? Hear, touch, taste, smell, feel, right? And so if I can hear it, if I can see it, if I can taste it, if I can touch it, if I can feel it, or at least some combination, some some set of those, if I can do that, then I'll do it. You know what that is? That's not faith. That's not faith. And Abraham and Sarah said, this is not sensible. God is not coming through. And so we need to do what is sensible. And so what happened? Now, Abraham did marry Hagar before he slept with her. But nonetheless, he went in and slept with her. And sure enough, uh, Hagar got pregnant and Ishmael was born. Well, now Ishmael is part of the reason why there's so much strife in the Middle East. God did bless Ishmael, and God did make of Ishmael a mighty nation. Now that nation is at war, one of the nations that's at war with Israel. You see what happens when we doubt? We don't just create problems now. Those problems continue on generation after generation after generation. Letter B. Let's, uh, let's try to get through uh, point three here. Letter B. Notice his discouragement. His discouragement. Look at chapter 17 and verse 17. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is an hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. 
Ishmael's a little bit older now. And God has reassured him, I am going to give you and Sarah a baby. And he says, no, God, I'm 100 years old. That's impossible. You see how discouraged he is? Once we get doubt, on the heels of doubt comes discouragement. Letter C, notice his denial. His denial. Look with me at chapter 12 and verse 10. I believe the first two are connected, and I think doubt and discouragement does end up leading to denial. But I'm going to take it a little bit different way here. We're going to fracture letter C off from the other two. Look at chapter 12 and look at verse number 10. And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt that he said unto Sarah's wife, uh, Sarai's wife, Behold, now I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. I'm sure she was just flattered by that. Then he, she wasn't so flattered by the next part. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will uh, save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, pray thee, thou art my sister. That I may be well with, uh, that, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. Now I have to say this, Sarah must have been one gorgeous woman. To go into a country the size of Egypt, and have Pharaoh's men pick her out of a crowd, and pull her into the palace, whoa, she must have been drop dead gorgeous. All that aside, If I said to my wife, hey, we're going to this town, tell everyone I'm your brother, uh, I'd probably get five fingers across my jaw, and I deserve it. And I deserve it. Now, I gave you chapter 20, verse 1, because he did this again. Abraham did not just do this once. He had Sarah lie about him twice. Now, it was a half-truth, because they had the same, I think, father, but not the same mother, if I remember right. Uh, But nonetheless, it was deceptive. And he was in denial. Why? Now, I'm going to make one last application and we'll be done. Did you know that prior to chapter 12, verse 10, Abraham arrived in the promised land. He got where God wanted him to go. And then a famine came. And when the famine came, instead of staying where he was supposed to be, Look, he left in chapter 12, verse 1. He arrived in chapter 12, verse 9. A famine hit, which is oftentimes the case. We get to where God wants us to be, and then he tests us to see if we're going to stay. What did he do? Oh, I'm hungry. Oh, I need food. i got to do what's sensible. And he ran to Egypt. He went down to Egypt. And when he arrived in Egypt, he denied his wife was his wife, and he got himself in trouble. All that to say, I make mistakes and you make mistakes. Abraham made mistakes. But Abraham still finished strong. And so if you're in a a spot right now of of doubt, uh, discouragement, or denial, my friend, you you are normal. You are a human. You uh, You are living the life of a saved sinner. But don't quit walking by faith. You know, Abraham failed, but he got up. And he kept moving. And that's the name of the game. Is not that we stay down, but that we get up and keep moving. Hey, let's stand together for a word of prayer. We'll be dismissed. And we will finish the story of Abraham and his faith next week.